Hey everyone, welcome to this week's conversation with Dr. Stephen Ned about the body and how to fix, protect, or maintain it using outside-the-box alternative solutions. If you're a big fan of the pharmaceutical or surgical approach, you are so in the wrong place because on this podcast, we're not going to be pushing the conventional medicine methods or way of thinking about health. If you're looking for another way to live longer and healthier, join me, Ron Ned, and my brother, Dr. Stephen Ned, for this week's body chat about broken bones. Me? I'm a retired Twin Cities chiropractor currently helping people buy and sell homes in the Tampa Bay and Los Angeles areas. My brother has a thriving chiropractic practice in the Clearwater area of Tampa Bay, Florida. In this podcast, we're going to chat about all sorts of topics related to health, nutrition, exercise, just about everything having to do with the body. You're invited to listen into our body chat, but don't forget that neither of us is giving you health advice, so don't rush off to do something without either checking with your doctor first or seeing Dr. Steve Annette as a patient at his office. Good evening, Steve. Good evening, Ron. So we're going to be talking today about something that I never knew that I had experienced, but I found out that I had without my knowledge years ago, apparently, and that has to do with broken bones. Now, what are the different types of broken bones? First of all, I'm going to refer to broken bones quite often in this podcast as fractures, since that is the technical medical term for broken bones. Okay. There are quite a few different types of fractures, but I'm going to summarize some of the most common types. All right. So let's start with a simple fracture. This is also known as a closed fracture. And this is when the bone breaks, but there is no puncture or open wound in the skin. Okay. So the opposite of that would be an open fracture, which is also known as a compound fracture. And that's where there's an open wound or break in the skin near the side of the broken bone. All right. And then we have what's called a stable fracture, which is also known as a non-displaced fracture. Mm -hmm. And that's one where the broken bone ends of the bone are lined up and barely out of place. So it doesn't require any type of realignment. Okay. And then the opposite is a displaced fracture, which is a type of fracture in which a bone breaks into two or more parts and the bones get displaced from their original position. Oh, okay. So you can have a displaced that's closed or a displaced that's open. That's true but you probably wouldn't have a stable one that's open. Probably not, no. Yeah, because the bones in the stable one aren't really, there isn't much movement between the two ends where it's broken, and you'd have to have some movement to actually break through the skin. Yeah. Most likely. That's true. Okay, so those are the various different types? No, there's more. Oh, of course there is. So now we get into the green stick fracture. And that's where you have a crack on one side of a bone that doesn't go all the way through it. Oh. Yeah. And then there's what's called a transverse fracture, which is a type of fracture that has a horizontal fracture line going through it. All right. So give me a visual on that because I don't quite picture that. Like if you took a knife and you sliced a piece of celery through the center, but the pieces stayed together. There's like a little slit through it. So let's take the shin bone, the tibia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What direction would that fracture be going? It would basically be parallel to the ground. It would go straight through it. So it would go from the front to the back or the side to the side. Yeah. And the line would be horizontal with the plane of the earth. Okay. Yeah. As opposed to an oblique fracture, which has an angled pattern. Okay. So that would be like at a 45 degree angle or something like that. Right. 
Yeah. And then there's what's called a common nuded fracture, which means that the bone's shattered into three or more pieces. That's pretty bad. That's a little more serious, yes. And then, of course, there's what's known as a stress fracture, which is also known as a hairline fracture. Mm -hmm. And that's a small crack in a bone. And most stress fractures are caused by overuse and repetitive activity and are found mostly in the lower leg and foot and are common in runners and athletes. And I had some fractures in my foot when I had x-rays taken recently. The doctor told me, oh, yeah, you had this one over here and this one over here. I had no idea I ever had them. So chances are they probably were stress fractures. Yes. But not being an athlete or a runner, I'll have to figure out how the heck that ever happened. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then there's an avulsion fracture. Mm-hmm. And that occurs when a tendon or ligament that is attached to the bone pulls a piece of the fractured bone off. Right. And, you know, these can happen anywhere in the body, but they're most common in the ankle, hip, finger, and foot. Okay. And then we get to the pathological fracture. And that occurs when a bone breaks in an area that was already weakened by another underlying health condition, such as osteoporosis, mm-hmm. cancer, an infection, or certain inherited bone disorders. Okay. And then, of course, there's the compression fracture. Speaking of osteoporosis, uh, the most common type of fracture in people with osteoporosis is a compression fracture. Right. And that's where the body or block part of a spinal vertebra crumbles and collapses. Exactly. Yeah, and it happens most often in the middle back, and it ends up looking more like a wafer than a block. When osteoporosis is severe enough, a compression fracture can result just from a fall, lifting a heavy object, or just from coughing, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah. And then finally, we get to the burst fracture. This is a specific type of compression fracture. And instead of it being due to osteoporosis, it's due to a severe trauma, such as a motor vehicle accident or a severe fall from a height causing severe compression to a vertebra, causing it to break in multiple directions. Wow. Yeah. So the vertebra literally bursts. That's pretty nasty. It is. Because compression fractures of a vertebra, a lot of people live with those and there's not much problems with it. I mean, there are problems, but it wouldn't be horrible. But I would imagine that the burst type of fracture, you'd have to probably get the person in for surgery. Yeah, that's something we're going to talk about soon. You know, the like the compression fracture, sometimes we see them on x-rays and they're just an incidental finding because the person never even had any pain in that area. They just exactly. flat out, you know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then compensated for it. But the burst one would be a real traumatic type of cause behind that. So there would be a need for some type of emergency care. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then what is the most serious type of broken bone and why is that the most serious type? Okay. Well, getting back to the open fracture, obviously if you have a bone sticking out of your skin, that's a medical emergency and you need to be transported to a hospital immediately. Yep. And a displaced fracture also is more often than not requiring surgery too. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, going back to the pathological fracture, the problem with this is that you may not already be aware of a serious underlying medical condition that may be causing it, such as osteoporosis, cancer, or an infection. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to get the fracture taken care of, but also the underlying condition. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Okay. So those are the most serious ones? No, there's more. Okay. Of course, you know, we just talked about the burst fracture. 
And again, that's a specific type of compression fracture, which not only does the square body of the vertebra collapse, but it also bursts and sends shards of bone in different directions. Right. So the problem with this is that it can injure the spinal cord as well as the spinal nerves at that level. And that can result, I mean, in just unbelievable severe pain as well as loss of strength, sensation, or even reflexes below the level of the injury. Wow. So it can range from a minor short-term neurological problem to loss of control of the bowel and bladder along with paralysis of the legs, especially if it occurs at the junction of the mid-back and low-back. Okay. So yeah, that one's major. Another one is a, a rib fracture. And this can result in a condition called a pneumothorax where the lung is punctured, causing it to collapse. That would be serious. Yeah, that is a life-threatening emergency. So again, you go straight to the ER if that happens. Okay. And then an interesting one is a scaphoid bone fracture. Mm -hmm. So that's a wrist bone. And if a certain area of this bone is fractured, it can result in what's called avascular necrosis. And what that means is it's a localized death of the bone due to interruption of the blood supply to the affected bone. Hmm. And the reason this bone is at risk is because a certain part of it does not get a blood supply. So if it's broken in that area, then it won't heal properly and it'll die. Okay. Another area susceptible to avascular necrosis is the hip, specifically the head of the femur of the thigh bone. Mm -hmm. And the hip is a ball and socket joint. And the head of the femur is the bone that makes up the ball, as you recall. Right. So that's another place where you can get this too. Okay. And then uh, finally, of course, uh, if you break your neck, especially in the upper part, that could potentially cause a spinal cord injury or even paralysis. Or death. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. So there's two real major ones that, you know, if you remember back in college, we learned these and that's the first one is the Jefferson fracture. Mm -hmm. And that's a burst fracture of the front and back arches of the top vertebra in the neck called the atlas, C1. Mm -hmm. And then there's the hangman's fracture, which is a fracture of the vertebra just below it, the second one called the axis. Mm -hmm. And it's called this because it's similar to the injury suffered in death by hanging. This can also be caused by a sports injury or a traffic accident due to severe hyperextension of the upper neck. Mm -hmm. And in most cases, it, it does result in death due to damage to the spinal cord causing paralysis of your respiratory muscles. Right. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are all pretty serious then. All right, then what are the differences in a bone after it's been broken? Well, the body actually has a step-by-step -step procedure to heal a broken bone. Mm -hmm. And so in the first few days after a fracture, the body forms a blood clot, also known as a hematoma. And it does so around the broken bone. And what it, this does is it helps protect the bone and deliver the cells needed for healing. Mm. And then the next thing that happens is the formation of a callus. Right. And that's an area of healing tissue that forms around broken bone to help join the broken bones together. So at first it's soft and then it gets harder and stronger over the following weeks with calcium being deposited there. Mm -hmm. The new bone forms in the weeks to months after a break, but full healing can take much longer. Right. Okay. So then the bone after is going to have like a, a bump around where it was broken because it's never going to be exactly the same as it was before. No, it's, it's almost like a Band-Aid, a hard Band-Aid around it. Okay. 
is it possible to break a bone and not know it? I guess I answered that for myself earlier about the two in my feet that showed up. So sorry to have spoiled that one, but why don't you go ahead and give a more thorough answer to that? Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, yeah, I've had patients with rib fractures just thinking that they bruised their ribs. Mm. Then we did x-rays and found out, sure enough, they broke them. And I've also had people with back pain not knowing that they had a pathological compression fracture due to osteoporosis, like I mentioned earlier. Right. And then one instance is, uh, you know, I had a patient who had foot pain and got an x-ray immediately, which showed no fracture. And then she walked around for over six months with foot pain, assuming there was still no fracture until she finally came to see me about it. Mm -hmm. And I told her that sometimes smaller fractures like stress fractures don't always show up on regular x-rays and that we should order an MRI to see better detail. Mm -hmm. And we did, and we found that she actually had three stress fractures in three different foot bones. Wow. Yeah. And she had to have the MRI performed twice because she had osteoporosis, which was the likely underlying cause of these pathological stress fractures in the first place. Yeah. So all she needed to do was wear a boot for a month to take the stress off of her foot, allowing it to heal, in addition to her getting cold laser therapy and a supplement that I recommend, which I'll go over in a little bit. Okay. Very good. Now, what are the immediate first aid type actions that somebody should take with a broken bone or should have taken with a broken bone? So this obviously depends on the severity of the fracture. Okay. Uh, obviously, if it's an open fracture and the bone's sticking out through the skin, you need to call 911 immediately and make sure you stop any bleeding by applying pressure around the wound. Right. And, you know, if there's a lot of bleeding occurring, you might need to wrap something tight above this area if it occurs in an extremity like your arm or leg. Mm -hmm. And make sure you cover the wound with a sterile dressing and secure it with a bandage if available. Um, that's why it's always important to have a first aid kit no matter where you're at. Right. And that'll prevent infection. Uh, you might also have to treat this person for shock. Mm -hmm. lose a lot of blood. So as long as you call 911, they should arrive within minutes and you can get assistance with a 911 operator if it's real serious. All right. So if somebody is around somebody that had that happen, they should call 911 and they can probably tell them what to do until the ambulance arrives. Exactly. Okay. Now, if you're not sure whether or not a bone is fractured, treat the injury as if it is. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no matter what type of fracture you're dealing with, support the injured body part and immobilize it. I mean, if you have a brace, that would be really helpful. Okay. And also immobilize the joints above and below any suspected fracture too. That's important also. You know, you remember when mom fell and she broke her hip due to being freaked out by that palmetto bug? Yes, I do. You know, I mean, she laid on the floor for hours until a doctor came to the house to check her out. And then she was transported to the hospital to have a plate and five screws put in. Mm-hmm. But she basically stayed in that place until they arrived to make sure there would be no problems because actually the bone dislocated too. Ah. Yeah. And, you know, of course, applying ice packs to relieve swelling and pain is also a good thing to do too. Right. Exactly. You know, so I thought it would be helpful to give a list of reasons to, uh, to call for emergency help, which includes the obvious ones I've just given. All right. So first and foremost, if the person is unresponsive or isn't breathing or moving, call 911 and perform CPR if you're trained to do so. Mm -hmm. And an open fracture where the, the bone has pierced the skin, obviously that would require you to call 911. We went over that earlier. Mm -hmm. And also if there's heavy bleeding. Mm -hmm. If you notice that the limb or the joint appears deformed, that would be a good reason to call. Right. 
if you just put gentle pressure or movement to an area and it causes severe pain, that's another good reason right. to get emergency help. And if the extremity end of an injured arm or leg, such as a toe or finger, is numb or bluish at the tip, in this case, you know, one thing you can do while waiting for a paramedic is to check the pulse at either the wrist or ankle because no pulse could mean an artery's been seriously damaged and time is of the essence as far as handling the situation to prevent potential amputation. Okay. If you notice a potential fracture or serious injury to the neck, head, or back, definitely get them transported. And, and don't allow it to be moved. Right. And if you suspect a fracture of the hip, pelvis, or upper leg combined with the leg being turned out abnormally, it looks like it may be dislocated, then definitely mm -hmm. get them transported too. Okay. Very good. Now, what determines whether somebody needs a cast for a broken bone? In practice, I normally allow the orthopedic doctors that I refer patients to to determine this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'll go over and give some basic general guidelines regarding the need for a cast, a splint, or a brace. All right. So I'm going to start with a splint. Just like casts, splints hold bones and joints in place so that they can properly heal after a fracture occurs. Mm -hmm. And the advantage of a splint over a cast is that when they're swelling, splints are a better choice than casts because they're easy to loosen if needed. That's true. So a splint for somebody who's not quite sure, it'd be like taking two tongue depressors on either side of a finger and wrapping some adhesive, some tape around it. And that would be like a splint. Yeah, that's a good makeshift splint. Yeah, so that's what's meant by a splint. There are two boards that are on either side of the arm or the leg that are wrapped together to kind of hold it in place. Right. So like you said, you can loosen it or tighten it, whereas a cast you can't. Yeah, and healthcare providers usually replace a splint with a cast on a broken bone after the swelling finally goes down. And the advantage of a cast over a splint is that it will provide more protection while a broken bone actually heals. Right. Now, a brace is designed to stabilize a broken bone or surgery site, and it allows you to participate in range of motion and weight-bearing activities such as light walking and activities of daily living. Okay. So an orthopedic walking boot is a great example of a brace. Hmm. And it works by immobilizing the ankle while walking, and it gives it a nice cushion support. Okay. I especially like the ones that have a pump button in the front that you push, which inflates the air bladder and the liner to adjust the compression level for increased comfort and support. And you know, you can find these on Amazon for as low as $40. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what are alternative treatments that can help with the healing of a broken bone? Are there any of those? Oh, yeah. I always start with a supplement called Bone CalMag, and I always recommend this outstanding supplement to supply the body with the best form of calcium and additional nutrients designed to help the body rapidly heal and grow new bone. And the type of calcium that it contains is called microcrystalline hydroxyapatite, or MCHA. Okay. And this is a natural compound that makes up the crystalline matrix of bone and teeth, hmm. and it's a substance that actually gives them their rigidity. This brand's version is derived exclusively from Australian cattle. Okay. So probably, probably non-GMO, of course. You know, I don't think they allow that out there. That's a good point. Yeah. It's made by Hollywood Health Products and can only be purchased from a licensed healthcare practitioner such as myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've used this supplement for many years with patients needing bone support, not only for fractures, but also for osteoporosis, 
osteopenia, which comes before osteoporosis, that's when the bones start to soften, mm-hmm. and even dental issues. You know, another thing that I like to use is acupuncture and dry needling. Okay. And these are absolutely incredible for accelerating the healing of bone fractures. Right. Uh, by applying acupuncture needles to the fracture site, it not only reduces pain and inflammation, but also improves nerve function and tissue healing. Hmm. Yeah, like around 25 years ago, I helped a soccer player who fractured his big toe get back on the field in just two weeks from doing acupuncture on it. I think you told us about that one. I may have, yeah. Yeah. I I did a follow-up x-ray at the two-week mark, which confirmed that the fracture had healed. Wow. And this, yeah, it just totally blew my mind because that's just not supposed to happen that fast. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, there's cold laser therapy. You know, this is also magnificent for speeding up bone healing from my experience of using it for almost 20 years now. Wow. And just like acupuncture, it reduces pain and inflammation and accelerates healing. And the light also helps the cells communicate better, allowing them to work better as a unit. Mm-hmm. So for more information on cold laser therapy and acupuncture, you can check out our previous podcast on each of these. Correct. All right. So those are some things that can help with the healing. I remember when a friend of ours had broken his heel and you went in and you did some cold laser therapy and that reduced the healing time by like a third or so, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. So very significant. Now, is there anything somebody can do to reduce the risk of broken bones? Absolutely. I've got a lot of information on this. Okay. So the first thing you should do, and it's a really smart thing to do, is get tested for your bone mineral density levels in your body. Okay. And this process is called bone densitometry or DEXA, D-E-X-A. Now, is it painful? No, it's basically a special type of x-ray that is real quick and, and accurate in measuring the density and strength of your bone. And they typically measure the bone density of the bones of the spine, lower arm, and hip. Okay. It's used mainly to diagnose osteopenia and osteoporosis. Plus, it's also used to determine your future fracture risk. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And it runs in the range of about $100 to $150. And Medicare actually will pay for a bone density test as part of preventive screening every two years for women 65 or older and men 70 or older. Wow. Yeah. Now, the National Osteoporosis Foundation recommends two types of exercises to help build and maintain bone density, and they are weight-bearing and muscle-strengthening exercises. Okay. So I wanted to go over these in detail because this is really good stuff. Okay. As far as the weight-bearing exercises, those are broken down into two categories. First, there's high-impact weight-bearing exercises, which help build bones and keep them strong. Mm-hmm. So examples of these types of exercises include dancing, mm-hmm. high impact aerobics, hiking, jogging, running, jumping rope, stair climbing, and tennis. Hmm. Now, obviously, if you've broken a bone due to osteoporosis in the past or you're at risk of breaking a bone, you should avoid high impact exercises. So a safe alternative to these are in the other category, which is low-impact weight-bearing exercises. Okay. So these include using an elliptical training machine, doing low-impact aerobics, using a stair-step machine, mm-hmm. or fast walking on a treadmill or outside. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then the other type of exercise recommended for building and maintaining bone density is muscle strengthening exercises, which involve moving your body, a weight, or some other resistance against gravity. Okay. So these are also known as resistance exercises, and they include lifting weights, using elastic exercise bands, using weight machines, lifting your own body weight, and functional movements such as standing and rising up on your toes. Okay. So a nice combination of both weight-bearing and muscle strengthening is holding dumbbell weights in your hands while you're doing lunges and squats. Okay. So I highly recommend those. All right. Now, another thing that's really good for reducing fractures is a really good absorbable calcium supplement. Mm -hmm. And again, the best that I've come across is the bone CalMag, one that I referred to by Hollywood Health Products. Right. You see, most cheap calcium supplements that you find in drugstores and grocery stores contain a cheap form of calcium called calcium carbonate. Mm -hmm. And calcium carbonate comes from chalk, limestone, and ground up oyster shells. Mm -hmm. So this type of calcium is really poorly absorbed. Only about 5 to 10% is actually absorbed. And if you're lucky, the rest is eliminated through the intestines. And if you're unlucky? Then some of the remainder can end up depositing in various parts of your body, such as your joints, leading to arthritic spurs. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Your kidneys, potentially causing kidney stones. Wow. Your brain causing dementia. And your arteries causing arterial sclerosis. So people can be taking supplements thinking they're doing themselves good and they're actually causing other problems. That's right. Now, even with the bone CalMag, going back to the earlier episode on digestive issues and stomach acid, wouldn't a person need to be taking an acid-type drink like cranberry juice and lemon and uh, Bragg's? Yes, apple cider vinegar. Yes, I highly recommend that they take it with either and or apple cider vinegar and lemon or a supplement that has betaine hydrochloride in it to ensure that they're going to absorb that supplement. Great point. Okay. Yeah. And don't forget in our posture podcast, number 38, we covered the importance of balance with standing posture. Right. And if you recall, I gave the stat that one out of three people over age 65 fall each year, resulting in 2.1 million ER visits per year, with the most common fractures being the hips, vertebrae, forearm, leg, ankle, pelvis, upper arm, and hand. Right. So the key to this is to improve your balance. And this is helped by both exercise and chiropractic adjustments. The stork. Yes. Yeah, so we went over the stork test and exercise in our posture podcast. That's right. And this is the gold standard test for seeing how long you can balance on one leg. That's right. And that's one of the things that we're looking at doing a video on when I come there in about three weeks. That's right. So we'll have a great demonstration of that. And it's something that you do about two to three times a day. Either you can do it either freestyle without the help of holding on to something, or you can do it in a doorway or mm -hmm touching a wall until you can do it freestyle. Right. Now, there's also numerous medical studies that have shown that Tai Chi is tremendously helpful to improve balance and prevent falls, including a 1996 study which showed that older adults participating in a 15-week Tai Chi program reduced their risk of falling by 47.5%. Wow. So that's good stuff. Our, the founder of Activator Methods at one of our seminars was raving about the studies on Tai Chi and helping balance, especially in geriatrics. Right. Okay. 
And then finally, chiropractic adjustments can definitely help your balance by balancing your pelvis and spine, which makes it much easier to stand up straighter and stronger. Exactly. And of course, you know, I just wanted to add that yoga and Pilates can also improve strength, balance, and flexibility. But there are certain positions which may not be safe for people with osteoporosis or those at increased risk of broken bones. Okay. For example, exercises that have you bend forward may increase the chance of a compression fracture in the spine. So okay. Might need to, you know, not do those. Right. All right. Very good. Yes. So we're planning on doing that little video coming up so we can show you how to do the stork. It was funny because after you went over it, I'm trying to figure out how to do the thing and I'm listening to what you'd said and I had it completely wrong. I literally, I had, was standing on the one leg and I was bringing my leg behind me trying to get my thigh level that a plate could sit on it on the back of my thigh. And it was like, now something's wrong. So I went online and saw some diagrams of the stork and it's like, oh, you bring your leg up in front of you. That's right. Kind of like the karate kid pose in the movie. Right. Yeah. So that's why a video will be helpful on these because I'm not dumb. Sometimes I can be a little slow, but literally you said, you know, bring up your, your thigh so that it's parallel to the ground so that you could put a plate on it or something like that. And I just kept thinking of putting it behind me. Mm. So that will be coming up and that probably will be ready for people to see sometime in mid to late October. Excellent. Now, before we leave, is there anything else you'd like to say on this topic of broken bones? Yes. I'd like to go over something that has become more commonplace and shows up from time to time on diagnostics like MRIs, and it's called a stress reaction, not to be confused with a stress fracture, even though they are very similar. Okay. So a stress reaction is a precursor to a stress fracture, meaning it's something similar to it and it happens before it. All right. We'll explain that. Sure. So a stress reaction involves the bone structure breaking down and becoming weaker, but there is no actual fracture. Whereas a stress fracture means the bone has been overloaded to the point that it's become compromised, resulting in a crack or fracture. Okay. And the reason they're similar is that they are both due to repetitive stress or overuse injuries to bones, which happen over time and are especially common in athletes. Mm -hmm. For example, one of the most common injuries of this type occurs in runners in their shin bones due to doing too much too soon. And what happens is the athlete, uh, in this case, a runner repeatedly overloads their tendons and ligaments that attach to their shin bone before they have properly adapted to their training schedule. Ah. And the problem with both uh, stress reactions and stress fractures is, is that they are rarely seen on regular x-rays. Hmm. Uh, you know, remember the example I gave earlier about my patient who had three stress fractures in her foot for over six months. And you know, they weren't seen initially on regular x-rays and she suffered for six months. Right. So the best study to detect both stress reactions and stress fractures is an MRI. And I've been able to detect quite a few through the years. Wow. You know, as long as there's no underlying pathological conditions such as osteopenia or osteoporosis occurring, mm -hmm. an athlete with either a stress reaction or stress fracture will obviously need to stop running and wear a special walking boot for about four to six weeks. Wow. During this time, again, taking bone cal mag and receiving chiropractic adjustments, cold laser therapy, and acupuncture and dry needling will also reduce pain and inflammation and speed healing. Absolutely. All right, great. Very good information. There's a few things in there I didn't know about. I'd never heard of stress reactions before. 
Mm-hmm. So that's very helpful. It's good to know. Like I said, I had never, it was funny because a few weeks ago, I was thinking, oh, I've never had a broken bone in my life. Whereas Arlene has had a few. Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's interesting. Of course, I'm not involved in sports like either of you are. And then I go and I get this x-ray done. And it's like, no, the thing that you thought that you had broken isn't broken, but there's two other places in that foot where you did have some breaks. Whatever. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's correct. All right, good. So thank you very much, Steve. That's very good information. So now that we've covered broken bones, we're going to go on to another topic next week, which is sprains and strains. And we're going to deal with that, and we're going to be comparing it somewhat to the broken bone because people will often think a broken bone is a much more serious thing, and they don't understand why it takes time for a sprain or a strain to heal because it's not as serious. We're going to get into those details because there's a lot of confusion and misunderstanding regarding these topics. We're going to help people clear that up so they understand it better. All right. So thanks again, and we'll talk again next week. All righty. Thanks for joining us this week on the Body Chat Podcast. We both really appreciate your time and your attention. We want to provide you with interesting and informative episodes each week, and if you have a topic you'd like us to cover or any questions you'd like us to answer, send an email to us at info at bodychatpodcast.com. That's info at bodychatpodcast.com. To make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, subscribe to the Body Chat Podcast now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. See you next week.